You're listening to Leading in the City, brought to you by Lead NYC. Uh, so whatever I prepared, I thought instead uh, what would be appropriate actually would be for me to just share a little bit of my own ministry story and my journey in New York City. And I, and I thought I'd share just because my sense in the room is that we've been through some extraordinary transition, uh, not only over the last year and a half, but many of us right now kind of in this moment. Uh, perhaps you've been going through your own season of transition. So I thought I'd share a bit about my own transition, my own season of transition. Uh, I was a pastor for 10 years at a church in Queens called New Life Fellowship in Elmhurst. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, who's the founding pastor there, he's like my spiritual father. And uh, I was there for 10 years, loved the church, and I, I felt like um, I was going to live and die in Elmhurst, Queens. I actually lived a block away from the church uh, even still, I was late all the time. It's weird how that happens, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's weird how that happens. But anyhow, so I was there for 10 years, and uh, very early on during my time there, Pete had actually entrusted to me, he said, you know, you're someone that I could definitely see being the next lead pastor here. So I felt incredibly honored as this young pastor, uh, you know, as this 20-something whose dream was to be a pastor and to be a pastor at New Life was like the ultimate dream. So, of course, for 10 years, I felt like I'm investing my life into this future. Uh, a good friend of mine named Rich Velotis, who's now the lead pastor, he and I were tabbed to become the, the lead pastors together in this season. And so 2010 was my ninth year there. In 2011, in the springtime, we were going to make this announcement before the church that Drew and Rich were going to lead the church together. Um, the only thing is, in February of 2011, uh, I submitted my resignation. Yeah, and uh, they were shocked and surprised. And uh, Pete was, he tells me later on that he actually, he wanted to kill me. And uh, <laughs> he's Italian. And uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so anyhow, so, and uh, what many people didn't know was that in, in 2010, I had gone through a pretty significant season of depression. And it was, it was one of those seasons where I just had a hard time sleeping. I was overworked, not by anyone's fault but my own. I just have this tendency, um, my immigrant hustle that's kind of in my generational background is basically to throw myself into my work. And so uh, in 2010, I was, I was really going through a season of depression. And uh, I would meet with different spiritual directors and counselors just investigating what was happening within my own soul during that time. And I remember kind of as I would kind of process these things with counselors and spiritual directors about what was happening in my own soul soul, two things consistently came up. Number one was one thing that was keeping me at New Life was prestige. Uh, because at that point, New Life had become a church that had become fair, fairly significant, at least in Queens. The church, they had bought a church building right there in Queens Boulevard. We couldn't get rid of the Elk because it was landmarked. But nonetheless, it was a significant building. And Pete was an amazing mentor. And so, uh, but I, I kept saying to myself, whenever I would process with different spiritual directors and counselors, I said, I can't leave. This is like a dream job. Moreover, I, like, if I were to leave, I would be a no nobody. Like, I don't want to be a nobody. I've invested 10 years of my life here. And so one of the things that came up really was that the one thing that was keeping me there was prestige. Now, a second thing that was keeping me there, I remember in one of my sleepless nights, I got really anxious. And so I stirred my wife awake. And uh, my wife, Tina, she woke up and I said to her, I said, you know, if you had a more lucrative job, I wouldn't be stuck where I am. I know. <laughs> I, was, I was depressed, okay? I was depressed. <laughs> and, uh, 
so, so in the middle of that, and she, she says, first of all, don't ever speak to me that way again. <laughs> yes, and then she says to me, she says, do you really believe that's what God is like? That, that he has us stuck in places because of money? Go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> and then I cried. Uh, <laughs> and I realized that the second thing that was keeping me there was money. Prestige and money. You know, and, and through the end of 2010, one of the things that I realized was that um, prestige and money are really awful reasons to be a pastor. And so I submitted my resignation. And after I submitted my resignation, it was much to the shock of everyone there. And the elders were hurt, confused. Pete was hurt and confused, wanted to bless, uh, but was just really bewildered by my kind of, by wh what I had discerned. Rich was also befuddled. Uh, but I submitted my resignation, believing in faith that God had a better future for me. So I submitted my resignation in February. We made the announcement in March, had multiple town halls, trying to explain there was no scandal, there's nothing going on. Like, we're just, they blessed us, and then we left. And my final Sunday there was uh, Palm Sunday, April of 2011. Uh, and I remember after Palm Sunday, you know, we're going into Holy Week, and uh, I actually got more depressed. <laughs> you ever been there where you feel like you've hit rock bottom? And then I know that the devotional this morning by AAA, you were talking about rock bottom, and then there's, you, you haven't hit rock bottom. And uh, that's kind of what it felt like. I left and I got more depressed. Uh, my wife and I, we ended up subletting our apartment and we ended up going to Asia because I'm Asian. And so uh, we were in Asia. And uh, so we ended up going to China and then J Japan and then to Korea where my, we were staying with my wife's uh, grandmother. And uh, while we were there, it was, it was such a, an interesting time because I was wrestling so much with my own sense of self-worth. And I, I didn't realize, you know, I used to think unemployment was about money. You know, that was, well, kind of the, in my immigrant mind, that was the, the overwhelming thing that was so important. But I remember during that season, I didn't realize how much unemployment had to do with my own sense of identity and calling. You know, and so people would ask me, Drew, you know, hi, I I'd introduce myself. I'd say, hi, my name is Drew. They'd be like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, where? I'm like, why you gotta be so, so like <laughs> incisive and wanting to know where? Why can't you just accept me? You know, like, <laughs> and so I just realized that internally there was this, there was this insecurity there and I, I didn't realize how much I had put, had hung my hat on being a pastor and being a pastor at New Life. Uh, you know, Tim Keller has this phrase where he says, you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I realized that one of the things that God needed to do in me was to drill me, to basically strip me from all those things, all those things that had, had kind of taken precedence over my belovedness, my chosenness before God. It was the role that I carried, the title that I had. It was the fact that I could be this pastor at this kind of church. And I realized God needed to teach me again how to simply be a kid who's loved by a good dad. 
And it was during that season while I'm, I'm in Asia, I'm in Korea, and I remember reading in Scripture in kind of Exodus 32 to 34, there's that, there's that section where Moses is basically having this interaction with God, and he says, I will not, uh, you know, do not send us up from here if your presence does not go before us, where God is basically saying, uh, you know, where Moses is basically confessing, God, I just want to go where your presence takes me. And I remember God saying to me specifically, you know, your dream was new life and your dream was New York. I want you to die to the dream of New York City. And so I remember saying, okay, God, we will follow you wherever your presence takes us. And so my wife ended up saying, okay, well, here, our, our commitment, ever, the reason why we moved to the city is because we wanted to be in an international city. Number two, we wanted to somehow be involved in a ministry that served the urban poor. So she said, well, the cities that I would want to live in are London, New York City, the Bay Area of San Francisco area, the Bay Area, or Vancouver. And I told her, you know, I don't have a job. <laughs> those are the most those are the most expensive cities in the world. <laughs> like, can you like choose something else, like Omaha or I don't know? And um, but she's like, no, these are the cities that I I, I just I, I'm sensing that God is leading us towards. So I'm like, okay, God, wherever your presence leads us. And during that time, not only was I wrestling with my own personal sense of calling, I was also wrestling with what do I believe about church? You know, during that time, again, I was unemployed, but I was wrestling with my own sense of identity and then church. And soul is the mega church capital of the world and I actually love mega churches um as I said that really like yeah really excitedly but anyhow I really love I think they do a great job in what they do and I think their heart for the unchurched is is phenomenal and their verve for excellence and so here I was in Seoul in the mega church capital of the world and I remember reading a blog post by this missiologist named Mike Breen one of the things he was talking about is how the western church has been marked by three different things number one a culture of consumerism number two is a culture of competition and number three was a culture of celebrity I remember reading that and being like, you know what? Oh, gosh, what if I could give myself to a church where we, we, we believed in mission and we believed in what God was doing, but we would do it as a collection of friends? Uh, and I started to think to myself, you know, if we were to ever start a church, and this is the craziest thing, you know, if we were to ever start a church, what if we could start a church, but instead of growing into a big mega thing, but instead it grew up into a family of churches across the city, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, and then during that time, as I was writing in my journal about that, uh, my wife, and we were staying at her grandmother's place, my wife basically, she says to me, she goes, hey, by the way, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> I know. I was like, not now. <laughs> this, did this happen here at, at her grandma's house? And we were like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. This small apartment, we're, <laughs> all right. Um, so at, at that point, you know, like, I'm like, my wife is pregnant. I need a job. <laughs> like, forget about all these dreams about church or whatever. And so I just, like, I need a job. Shortly thereafter, there was a church in the Bay Area that my wife, when she used to live in San Francisco, actually contacted me. And there was this large church out there, a church of four to 5,000 people that had contacted me and actually said to me, hey, Drew, we heard that you had left New Life, and we're we've actually been looking for a lead teaching pastor. We would love for you to consider this church. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, isn't God like that? He's this miracle worker. He just opens doors. And that was on our list, and this is a church. And so I remember just saying like, wow, God, you've opened this door. And so I'm like, forget anything that I was thinking about. I'm all in. God is opening this door. So I go all in for this interview. Now, this is now the summer of 2011. Fast forward to September. I go to the interview. The interview goes tremendously well, at least in my estimation. <laughs> and then uh, I end up 
calling up my wife at, at the airport as, as I'm headed back to New York. I call her up and I say, I tell her, yeah, the interview went great. There were some hiccups, but I think God is calling us here. It's so clear. And so let's start talking, calling our friends, see if we know any housing leads, any doctors, because now my wife was entering her second trimester. And so Tina ends up saying to me, oh, that's great. That's great. And she says, you know, but I had a dream. It's like, really? <laughs> She goes, God doesn't, I don't think God wants us to be there. I was like, whatever. Like, we need, <laughs> I need a job. And so, so I end up getting back to New York, and then some different friends had told us that we were now the finalists and that it was our job if we wanted it. So I start calling up friends in the Bay Area. I start calling them up, asking for leads on doctors and, uh, um, and apartments and things like that. And uh, it was October 10th, 2011. I remember reading in scripture, in Psalm 33, it says, a king is not saved by the size of his army. A war horse is a vain hope for deliverance. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fe fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. I remember reading that passage and writing in my journal, wow, God, the same reasons why I want to go to this church are the same reasons why I left New Life, were prestige and financial security, the size of an army. And I wrote in my journal, God, help me to give my life to something where I hope in your unfailing love. And that when the story of my life is written, it's not a story of how great I am or all the things that I've done but it's a story of how great you are and how I hoped and trust, trusted in your unfailing love. I wrote in my journal, God, I think you're calling us to start a church in New York. Then I closed my journal. Later that day, that same day, that church from California ended up calling me. And the, the, uh, the head elder, he said, Drew, we sense that God's hand is on your life, but we think he has a different assignment for you. It was at that point that I was finally like, I guess we're starting a church in New York. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that I never thought that I would be a church planter. The reason why was because remember how I told you at the beginning of the story, like, I, like, I, whenever I thought about planting a church, I'm like, why would I plant a church and be a nobody when I'm at this wonderful established church and I realized what God was doing was he, he needed to strip me of all those things, my own ego, my own pride, my own sense of security, my own sense of self-worth that's found in kind of my own gifting in my own name. And God needed to just strip me of all those things so that finally I could say, God, I'm going to give my life fully to you so that whatever happens, you get all the credit and you get all the blame uh, if it doesn't go well. You know, I, I just have this sense that for some of us, maybe there are things, there are trappings that have kind of kept us in seasons of transition. And here's what I'd like to do. I would just love to, if I could invite you, if you could just stand with me. And uh, I'm going to invite my brother Christian to come up here. And... Uh, The name of our church is called Hope Church because of Psalm 3318, those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And every time I hear those words, those whose hope is in his unfailing love, I'm reminded to give myself to a story beyond myself for God. 
to strip me of anything but his will and his ways. And today, as some of you are starting your retreat with us, and some of you, meanwhile, were departing here, for us just to come before God, to take all of us and to lead us. You've been listening to Leading in the City, brought to you by Lead NYC. Tune in next time and join us on the web at lead.nyc.